0: Grace and peace be with you from the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are willing and able, I invite you to stand for the reading of Scripture from the book of Acts chapter 13. And this is our sermon text for this afternoon. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and, motioning with his hand, said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. We bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us their children by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to see corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from everything from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days. A work that you would not believe, even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them on the next Sabbath. That is the word of the Lord. Amen. May God add His blessings to the reading, the preaching, and the hearing of His word. And all the church says, maybe seated. spent a lot of time this past week visiting different men, different people that I've come to know. And there was a recurring theme throughout these visits. In our conversations, it became clear that many people that I know inside my family, outside my family, inside our congregation, outside the congregation, many people that I know wrestle with discouragement They feel deflated, defeated in life. Some might attribute it to the heat, the oppressive heat that we all feel in these last few days. But it's actually deeper than that for many people. At the same time, I was thinking of these conversations that I was having. I was meditating on this sermon text. It was already slotted for this week. And you noticed in the reading of the text that... The rulers of the synagogue where Paul and Barnabas were visiting came to Paul and said, if you guys have a word of encouragement for the people, say it. Sometimes synagogue rulers, sometimes rabbis and Pharisees get a bad rap, don't they? We think of them as being these hard-nosed men who don't care about anything except the law. And yet here we have rulers in a synagogue who care very much about the people in front of them. So much so that when they invite Paul to come and preach, they specify if you have a word of encouragement for the people, speak it. I suspect that those synagogue rulers, much like myself as a pastor of a congregation and a friend to people in our community, recognize that people are often discouraged beat down by life, and they need, some, they need some encouragement. They need something to lift them up a little bit, something to remind them that life, as bad as it is, could get better. It might get better. There is hope out there. The word for encouragement that's used here is a word that means to call someone to your side. Brothers, if you have a word whereby you can call us to your side, let us know. We want to hear it. And that's what Paul does. He gets up to speak a word of encouragement. I got to wondering how much encouragement and discouragement affect people. And so I went to the place where we all go when we have questions. The internet and a Google search. And one of the first searches I came across was a website. I forget the name of it. But the title of it said that this is 100 inspirational words of encouragement. Actually, it says 101 inspirational words of encouragement. And I'm not going to read all of them to you, but these are some that caught my attention. One said, everything you need to accomplish, everything you need to accomplish your goals is already inside you. Never give up. Never give up. There's no such thing as an ending Only new beginnings. And then my favorite one was, sometimes you think you've been buried, but you've only been planted. Now, I imagine there are people out there who read that sort of thing and they find some kind of encouragement from that. Maybe a jolt of of energy for the moment. Maybe it sparks something in them and they say, yeah, that's right. Everything I need is inside me. I read that kind of thing, and I feel even more discouraged. If everything I need is inside me, I'm not going to get much accomplished in life. I'm not going to get very far. There's a humanistic impulse in this. And I understand they're trying to encourage people, and I appreciate that part of it. But it's no encouragement to turn yourself inside yourself and to do navel-gazing. When Paul was invited to preach a word of encouragement to uh, the people at the synagogue, he did something quite different. He didn't give them mottos and slogans and mantras to recite. He told them a story. He told them the story of God in the world. He told them that God's story in the world includes them and that God is with them in the story. And he hasn't just been doing it a little while or just getting started. He's been doing it for a long time. And so as you heard in that, if you were to read all of Paul's sermon, you would see Paul telling the story from Abraham to Joshua to Judges to Saul to David and into the prophets. In other words, he summarized in very few words the whole story of God and his people from the Old Testament. Now, one reason he did this is because he's trying to establish his credentials with the people in the synagogue. He's trying to let these religious folks know that, look, I know the Bible and you know the Bible. And I can tell you the same stories that you're familiar with. But I want you to show I want to show you these stories are going somewhere that you didn't expect. I found it true in my life that some of the people who are often the last to understand, last to grasp what God is doing in the world are religious people, professing Christian people, people who read the Bible a lot like these folks. Sometimes they're the last to understand what God is doing in the world, perhaps because they're they're seeing the Bible as an end in itself and they don't see it as a means to an end. They don't see that God is just revealing what he's doing and pointing them to something else. And so instead of using the scriptures as a lens through which they can see God's work in the world, they just see the scriptures. They just see the book and the words on the page and they get stuck there. It becomes a dead end. But for Paul, as he shared this word of encouragement, I want you to see that he used the scriptures as a lens or as a window and pointed the people beyond themselves beyond the synagogue beyond the words on a page to a person and we'll get to that in just a moment i love the way this this message begins i love the way it begins paul was sitting and he stood up and he motioned with his hands. This was customary in their days. It's not he wasn't doing like some pastors and waving his hands like he's landing an airplane. He just motioned with his hands like, hey, I'm going to speak. And so they listened. And then he does something here, which uh, depending on how you read it, you can see that there's a little bit of humor in what he's doing. I don't know if any of you have seen the movie A Night's Tale. It's one of my favorite movies, uh, A Knight's Tale. And there is in the movie a man who introduces a knight. And he does it with all kinds of um, poetic language, and he lays it on thick, and he's trying to make a big impression to introduce his knight. And in one scene, he stands up and he says, My lords and my ladies, and everyone else who is not seated on a cushion. Today, you are all equals. And he goes on to explain that they're equals in the sense that they're equally blessed to witness this night perform in front of them in this round of jousting. And when I read this story, there's a sense of that in what Paul is saying, because he's speaking in a synagogue to Jewish people primarily. And he says to them, men of Israel and the rest of you who fear God. In other places, he says, men of Israel and you Gentiles. And what he's, what he's doing by introducing his sermon in that way is now he's saying, look, what I'm about to tell you is all inclusive. What I'm about to tell you comes from the scriptures, but it's not just for you folks. It is for The Gentiles. It is for insiders and outsiders. So, men of Israel, and the rest of you who don't have a copy of the Old Testament scriptures, I want to tell you something. And he says, Listen to me. And then, as I mentioned, he lays out the story of God and his people. And the point he is making, and I'm not going to get in all the details of that, but the point he's making by recounting that story is that God is. A faithful presence among his people, that God has always been with his people. He's a faithful presence among them, even when they are not faithful. He continues to abide with them, to persevere with them, to help them along the way. He's moving the story of history somewhere. He has a goal in mind and his people are participating in that. And Paul does a beautiful job here of showing us where that story goes. Now, something you might not notice here that I need to point out is that if you read Acts 13 and then you take some time and go back and read Acts 7, you'll see that Paul is basically preaching in the synagogue the same sermon that Stephen preached before he was stoned to death. Remember when Stephen was stoned to death, who was standing there guarding the cloaks of those who were tossing the stones? It was Paul. And he was giving approval to the stoning of Stephen. You fast forward X number of years, and now Paul has a chance to preach in a synagogue, a word of encouragement. And I wonder, the scriptures don't tell us, but I wonder if if there was something in him that maybe um, something flashed through his mind that Stephen preached this message and it resulted in his death. Even though it was the most beautiful and encouraging message in the world. I wonder if it went through Paul's mind. The same thing might happen to me. The first time Paul heard the gospel preached in this way, he didn't find it to be true and beautiful and good. He found it to be false and ugly and bad. And that's why he gave approval to the death of Stephen. But here he is now about to echo the words of Stephen and preach the same message to the same kinds of people in his intent. Remember, his assignment and his intent is to Give them a word of encouragement. And what is the most encouraging thing he can think to do? The most encouraging thing he can think to do is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what he in effect shows is that God has been faithfully present with his people from the beginning. And moving with them and working with them to bring about the Savior that he promised at the very beginning. Paul says in verse 26. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God. To us has been sent the message of this salvation. To us has been sent the message of this salvation. And he didn't mean it's been given to me and Barnabas. No, he meant it's been given to me and to Barnabas and to you, brothers, you sons of Abraham and to you who fear God, you Gentiles. This message of salvation has been given to us. It is all of grace. Isn't God gracious to give us this word of encouragement, this message of salvation to bring to Israel and to the world the Savior that he promised And then he goes on to explain to these people in the synagogue that what's been happening throughout human history is that God has been drawing straight lines with crooked sticks. And exhibit A for for that is found in what took place in Jerusalem. Paul goes back and recounts for these people what happened in Jerusalem. How the Jewish people who heard the law and the prophets every Sabbath day. Didn't understand what was being read to them. And they ended up condemning Jesus and pushing for his crucifixion. They ended up getting the Romans involved and Pilate was involved. And together they conspired in the city of Jerusalem, the city of God's peace. They decided to declare war on God and they put Jesus to death. They carried out, as Paul says, they carried out all that was written of him. And then they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. Now, Paul's use of the word tree here is very important Everywhere else in Acts, you read about the cross, the cross. But here you read about the tree. And the reason Paul points to tree is because he's, this is a deep cut, you might say. It's a deep cut. He's reaching deep into the law, where in the law it says, anyone who is hung on a tree is cursed. Cursed. And so what Paul is, in effect, saying is, look, I know the law. I know the prophets. I know what you've heard. I know what has been read to you. We've all been in that story. And when I tell you about the God man who was hung on a tree and you hear, oh, that man was cursed, then know that, yes, he was cursed, but he was cursed for us. He was cursed for you. He was cursed for our sins. you think, well, that would be the end of the story then, right? A man who came in the name of God, claiming to be God in the flesh, is put to death on a cross. That must be the end of the story. And Paul says, no, it's not the end, because God entered into our story in Jesus. And God raised him from the dead. And Jesus appeared to many people who are now witnesses. What you see at the cross is the convergence of human responsibility and divine sovereignty. You see those two things converge at the cross. And you see a reversal because men seem so powerful in the moment in which they deliver Jesus over to death on the cross. And God seems so weak in that moment. But on the third day, there's a complete reversal where death once seemed to have its grip on God and the death of God and the end of all hope and faith and love. On the third day, God enters into the story again and there's a reversal. And what seemed to be so powerful is now put to an end and the, what seemed to be so weak is now so powerful. In the last couple of days, an interview with Stephen Colbert and Anderson Cooper have been circling about the uh, internet on social media and such. And there's a great conversation between the two of them. I recommend you look it up. But I want to reference one thing that's said in that. As Colbert says, reflecting on the death of Jesus entering into human experience, bearing the cross, enduring shame and suffering. He mentions in that, that unlike the thing you see in other religions, unlike the thing you see in other philosophies, in this story, God suffers with us. God suffers with us. For those of you who might feel discouraged today, you might feel defeated in some way, Life is a beat down and you wonder if you're having to do it all on your own. Get by all by yourself to make do. You need to know that what Paul has been preaching in Acts 13, what he's preaching uh, throughout this sermon pointing to Jesus can be summarized in this way. And that is that God suffers with us. And that is an encouraging thought, isn't it? He suffers with us. He suffers with us just just as He suffered with His people throughout the Old Testament. He suffered with them. He endured hardship with them. He journeyed with them through the rough and tumble of human history. Paul's point throughout this is that God's faithfully present with His people. And you see that most clearly in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The Gospel is the ultimate word of encouragement for the people. It's the ultimate word of encouragement, not just on the surface kind of encouragement, but, and, and not just the touchy-feely kind of encouragement, which if you can get that, get that as well. But this is the, the kind of encouragement that gets down to soul level. The kind of encouragement that gets beneath all of the muck and mire and get down to the root cause of, of our problems. Because here, God enters into our suffering. He enters into our experience. Here is the ultimate word of encouragement. We wrestle with all kinds of things in life. And one of the things we don't like to talk about or mention is not just the difficulties outside of us. That's, we all talk about that. What we don't like to talk about are the difficulties inside of us, the shame and the guilt and the fear that we all wrestle with. And we don't like to talk about the things that cause the shame, the fear and the guilt. Sometimes it's sin that's actually driving those things. Sometimes it's a misunderstanding of the person and work of Jesus and what the gospel intends to do among us. We feel all of these things and we we start to feel crushed and alone. We start to feel beat down by life. We end up going through the motions so many times. And yet here we see that the good news, the good news, the word of encouragement, the message of salvation is this, that what God promised to our fathers, He has fulfilled to us their children by raising Jesus from the dead. Not even death can discourage God. Not even death can defeat hope, faith, and love. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that fills us with hope and takes away our sorrows and fears. It's the resurrection of Jesus knowing and believing that he was raised from the dead that comforts us body and soul in this life. Because we know in the resurrection that God is saying your sins have been dealt with once and for all. They are dead and buried. Never to haunt you again. Never to be held against you or counted against you again. You have new life in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so Paul says this in verse 38, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from everything from which you could not be freed or justified by the law of Moses. You sin and you feel terrible. You have secret habits that you can't seem to break and you feel miserable about it. We confess our sins every week and if we took a poll, I would venture a guess that all of us, if not simply most of us, would say I confess the same sins this week that I confessed last week. I can't even get on to the new ones yet. And over time, that begins to burden your heart and discourage you. There are things about you that you don't like and you can't change and you can't fix. And that guilt and shame begin to enslave you and weigh you down. And after a while, you begin to believe the false gospel that says you really do stink. You really are a terrible person you're a miserable failure, you don't belong, you don't fit in, you might as well quit, give up, do something else. Stop going through the motions, stop pretending. All of these messages are in your head and they're intended to beat you down. They're from the enemy, of course. But we're susceptible, vulnerable to those things. And then we hear today a word of encouragement. How hard is it for you to believe this word of encouragement? The word of encouragement that says God is just as faithfully present with you today, right now, in this moment, as He was with Adam, as He was with Noah, and Abraham, and Moses, and David, and Isaiah, and John the Baptist. And Jesus, he's as faithfully present with you as he was with them. And here's why. Because you are in Christ. You've put your trust in Jesus, not in yourself. The good news is that God keeps his promise because he's the only one who has the ability to perform well enough to make the promises become real. His promises are not based upon your ability to perform well. And that's encouraging, isn't it? It's encouraging that you can be a wretched, terrible failure and totally loved by God, forgiven of your sins, liberated from the misery of your shame and guilt. You can be totally loved by God because this is the gospel of His Son, the good news that He extends to you through Jesus Christ. It's truly an encouraging word. Paul encourages those in the synagogue to receive the good news by faith, to turn from themselves and to trust in Jesus. But then he tells them, look, Maybe this isn't for everyone. It is for everyone, but maybe you think it's not for you. And just in case you think it's not for you, here's a little bit of counsel from the prophets. Don't let what the prophets say come about in your life. If you say, I don't want to receive this word of encouragement, I'm only happy when I'm miserable, I'm only happy when I'm sad. I like my shame and guilt, I like my secret sin well, then you should know the truth that there's a warning for you. Look, you scoffer, wonder, and perish, for God will do a work in your day, a work that you would not believe if anyone told you. So be very careful what you do with the gospel, but I encourage you with all your heart to embrace it by faith. When the synagogue ended that day and people began to go to their own homes, as we will do here in a moment, People were speaking with Paul and Barnabas, wanting to know more, ask more questions. And you would think that people who have come to faith, this has been your experience in mine. We, we came to faith and we say, well, now what do I need to do? How should I live? And people begin to give you a long list of rules to live by. Here's a lot of activity, a lot of busy work, a lot of stuff to prove that you can do to prove that you really are uh, a true, a really true convicted believer, right? And notice that Paul doesn't do that. He simply says, continue in the grace of God. More encouragement from the Apostle Paul, continue in the grace of God. And the word continue means dwell in it, abide in it, dwell and abide in the grace of God. The grace of God is the context. It is the soil in which you are nurtured and nourished. And as you live in the grace of God, it's grace that begins to shape your life and reframe your life. It's grace that fills you with what you need, shows you the way to go. Grace is what tells you what to turn away from and what to turn towards. Grace is what you need. So encourage I encourage you who have put your faith in Jesus to continue in the grace of God. And you don't have to take my word for it, but take the word of Christ for it. If you do that, you will find rest for your souls. You will find encouragement from the Spirit. You will find comfort on your journey. You will find family and friends among you who are also planted in the same soil. If you continue in the grace of God, over time, your discouragements will become encouragement. This is the promise of the gospel held out to you.